You are listening to the To and Out CFL Podcast, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. How do you guys eat them? Like, are they, uh, are they like fried or like, do you guys just, however, your own preferences? For the eating competition, basically, they're just sort of buttered, so they slide down easy, right? <laughs> oh, oh. This this conversation's getting hot. Grab some poutine and a double-double. It's time for the Two and Out CFL Podcast. Now they have to kick it out, and they do! Every week, Travis Curra. Does anybody still care about this podcast? And Brazilian Tide. Hunters are people, too. Talk fantasy football, bring you the latest in CFL news, and sprinkle in a little bit of nonsense. Are you kidding? This is unbelievable! Ready. Set. And we are a part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. I'm Travis Curra. He is Brazilian Ty. Ty, I got to ask you, man, every time I call you to do the show, without fail, the first call always goes straight to voicemail. What gives, man? Um, You know, I... I, I see you call and I just hit the clients. <laughs> I just, I'm trying to play hard to get. <laughs> well, it's working. <laughs> no, uh, I of course I have internet, uh, and if my phone I is hooked so. up to my Wi-Fi, <laughs> if my phone is hooked up on my Wi-Fi, I do not get phone calls. Dude, th- this is like dial-up internet days. Knows, <laughs> if there's somebody out there who knows what the hell is going on with my Shaw internet and my Wi-Fi on my phone and not being able to get phone calls, like if somebody. Like, to get into my building, you have to dial a code, and it dials my phone, and it's connected to the intercom. So when I order food, I have to turn my Wi-Fi off so that Skip the Dishes can call me. That's a real crisis. There and, I can buzz the, <laughs> and I can buzz them in. Because, like, hell, if I'm going down the four flights of stairs just to go back up four flights of stairs with $40 <laughs> worth of Burger King. We have Darius Bladek on the show today, former Saskatchewan Rough Rider offensive lineman, uh, signed with the Toronto Argonauts. Back when free agency mm-hmm. began. Full disclosure, we did record this interview about a, a week ago. So f- some things have changed <laughs> since. <laughs> are you saying K-Fabe's dead? Like, are you, are yes, you I pulling am. back the curtain? <laughs> yes, I am. Some things have changed since we uh, talked to him. And he was in Florida. Ty was in Lloyd Minster. And I was in Red Deer. So there are some choppy signal here and there. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, a lot of what we talked talked about is definitely still relevant uh things that have come up since then let's talk about that right now in the huddle with Karan Todd on the two and out podcast I know we kind of said uh, we didn't really want to talk about the politics and uh, the funding and mm-hmm. all of that but Randy Ambrosi had his presentation to uh, a lot of members of parliament last week talking about the need for the 150 million dollars and in that he said that the most likely scenario is that the cfl is going to have to cancel the 2020 season which thinking about it it's tough um Mm -hmm. i i really hope that a miracle can happen i don't i don't know if it's a miracle i don't know if that was a political game to play uh, to, to hopefully try to get some money out of the government. I don't want to get into the money side yeah. of things, but Ty, I don't know about you. It kind of seemed like, I, I don't want to say he was unprepared, but they probably should have talked to the PA 
before uh, heading to the uh, getting questioned because it seemed like he was getting grilled in more ways than one. It seems to be a recurring theme in our major sports leagues nowadays that the PA gets shut out of a lot of discussions. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I'm in the process of reading Sean Avery's book and I read Doug Gilmore's book as well. And, you know, Doug Gilmore went through a, a, a season shortened by a lockout. Sean Avery, of course, went through the, the lockout in 0405. And the game that the NHL played specifically, the, they got all the, they got the PA reps and a bunch of players in a hotel and just fed them booze. It was like a game to them, right? Wow. Uh, and I'm not like it, it was. It's screwed up, man. And you know, just to, like you know, it, it was basically a four day party for some of these guys. And you know, there was a couple guys that took it seriously, but I mean, all in all, they lose the season. Um, it always seems that it, you know, when you come when it comes down to CBA negotiations, it's the owners and the league and the commissioner against the PA, and you know that that's what it is. But they have to work together. To, to make it all work, right? Like there has to be concessions on both sides. They have to they have to make they have to make it so it's going to work for both sides. And you know, just to go into this, and I applaud Randy Ambrosi for wanting to go forward and, and go and talk to Parliament and everything. But I think it was rushed because, like you said, the PA wasn't involved. And you know, and we're we're seeing this we're seeing the same thing with baseball where they're like, yeah, we'll do it in Arizona and Florida, and you know. We'll centralize the teams, and we'll say, players like, well, I don't want to be away from my family, and my kids for four months. Like, where, where is our, you know, where's our options here? But everybody just sees them as they're under contract. You don't get to make any decisions. Solomon El Mimian is the uh, president of the CFLPA. He had a lot of mm-hmm. uh, words to say, and uh, seemed very well spoken and very smart. And it seems like this is a great role for him one mm-hmm. of the things i do want to mention is that one of the mps said it would be alarming if cfl relief funds went to americans and i, I just want to read a tweet that mike riley sent Please out do. uh yesterday just saying it's alarming that he would feel this way about u.s players i have been paying canadian taxes for a decade now have two daughters with Canadian birth certificates, spent hundreds of hours giving back to Canadian communities, as have all CFL players, both mm-hmm. Canadian and American, which I thought put things into perspective pretty well. Mike Riley's always well, the well-spoken one, and he's bringing it to Twitter. Yes. Well, and how often did we see Pat at games? Like, you know, he's he's spending money here. Like yeah, Mike's that's dad. true. Like, you know, their families come up here – Maybe they're staying in hotels. Maybe they're staying with their with the player. But you know they're still pumping money in the economy at some point, right? Like it, they, they pay taxes here. They work here. So yes, they should be getting some of this. But I don't know what the league was thinking. Like before the Randy Ambrosi uh, press conference, quote unquote. Um, you know when it came out that they were looking for this. Was it just for operations? Was it to go to players? We didn't really know. Yeah, uh, but like for the M- for the MP to come out and just say, well, no, they shouldn't get anything. Well, no, they work up here. They're paid in Canadian. They're paid with Canadian money. They pay Canadian taxes. They live here for six, seven months of the year. Some of them live here all year round. Right, like they're yeah. they're contributing to the system. If they need a, if they need help, then yes, they should. I think they should be getting it. At the same time, I don't think just because me 
I don't believe in professional sports getting bailouts, but I understand these are extenuating circumstances. It's a crazy time right now. We're going to get to our chat with Darius Bladek. First, this episode of the Two and Out CFL podcast is brought to you by Northwest Fest, Canada's longest-running nonfiction film festival. And Northwest Fest can't happen in a movie theater this year, but the show must go on, and it will. From now until the 17th, you still got a few days here over the long weekend anyway. Uh, Alberta residents can stream a selection of outstanding documentary films to their homes through Northwest Fest. Tickets are available now for all of the films showing, including, I want to shout out this one, Mr. Toilet. The world's number two man. It's a film about the man tasked with equipping India with public bathrooms. What a job. There's there's a lot of oh. films to watch here if you're going to be uh, stuck inside in Alberta during May long weekend. Uh, all films are geo-locked for viewing in Alberta only, so you have to live here to see them. Buy your tickets today, northwestfest.ca. Remember, the festival does end May 17th, so that is uh, coming up on Sunday, Sunday. so don't don't delay. Again, that's northwestfest.ca. I don't usually start a chat with saying, where are you, but things are pretty crazy right now. Where are you hunkered down right now? I'm actually in uh, Kissimmee, Florida right now. Now, I have heard you talking about going back to Florida during bye weeks and uh, your family coming from Canada uh, for a game or two. Um, I, I got to know, digging right into it, what sort of advice does your family give you? Because I know if my siblings saw me on the football field, they'd be criticizing me left and right. <laughs> um... <laughs> Well, I, I don't know. My, um, you know, my mom and dad, they, they love the game. They love what I do. Sometimes they get worried. They always tell me to, you know, take it easy on myself somehow. Right. And, <laughs> you know, not to go too hard in practice. I, you know, sometimes I'll call them. I'll tell them about practice. Or I'll tell them about what we got going on. And um, I guess it sounds scarier than what it is to them. I think they forget how large I am. Right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but um, they always tell me take it easy in practice, uh, save it for the game. You know, um, just take care of myself, and I have a lot of good support from my family. You know, we stay in contact throughout the season, even if they can't make it up. Yeah, you did mention uh, that you're a big guy. Yes, uh, you are. So, did uh, <laughs> was football always the sport that you were wanting to play, or did you play uh, any others growing up? When I was growing up, and originally um, up in Jersey, I was a really big New Jersey Devils fan, hockey fan. I'm a Devils fan, too. Played, oh, God. There's <laughs> two of you. <laughs> I, I love what the Devils are doing right now, to be honest. Um, That's so, awesome. I think, personally. Yeah, but uh, so I want to be a hockey player, more or less. I went to, like, the Stanley Cup championship parties. My dad would take me there. Uh, New Jersey Nets. Football was not even really a thought. Um, one day, I walked down with my dad. He was watching the Jets versus the Patriots classic. <laughs> and, you know, I remember watching the guys. I was like, Dad, why are these guys so large? Like, I couldn't understand why these people were so huge. I didn't know they were in shoulder pads. Right, right. So, 
So I never thought I could be that big. And then um, I, I started becoming a fan then, but I wasn't really still a big football guy until we came down to Florida. Um, I was a young teen, and we came down here, and literally um, – I had to pick a team. I had to pick a team. And if right. you don't like football, you're sort of the oddball out down here. If you don't like football or college football, you're weird. So um, every single day we played football and uh became a passion of mine. I loved it. Um, actually, I used to skateboard a lot more until I got hurt. And I put on too much weight and all the boards started breaking. Oh. <laughs> so I said, I think football is the better way for me. So it worked out pretty good. <laughs> So did you ever uh, pick up skating or anything like that? And and when you first moved to Florida, was it like nobody was into hockey at all? Oh, yeah. I didn't I didn't know not one person that watched hockey. Wow. <laughs> it was me and my dad in the NHL package. Right. Um, especially because <laughs> you weren't getting the Devils game. Yeah. And then you had to deal with the Lightning fans. And the Tampa Bay Lightning fans, they're not too fond of us Devils people. Right. So. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I gotta ask, was there, because I'm a Devils fan, Tyrell, you gotta just humor me for a bit here. Um, Do I have a choice? <laughs> you run the show, so. <laughs> um, for me, it was Marty Brodeur and uh, Scott Stevens, and when, when the team retired Marty's number a few years ago, I actually made the trip to uh, the rock to, to watch, uh, oh, watch that. Man. And it was my first game ever in New Jersey. And I loved it so much. I love the rink so much. Was there a hockey player that you looked up to? Um, honestly, growing up, it's, it's crazy that you mentioned those two people. I have a Scott Stevens and a, a Bordeaux Jersey wow. um, in my closet from when I was a kid. Um, those are two of my very uh, favorite, you know, Patty was Patty Elias for me was another very big guy. Um, especially like he came later on. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you know, it's crazy. You bring up the rock and I know, I don't know if you ever got to go, but the last place they used to play in the Meadowlands. I, I never went there. Metal, no. Yeah. It was, it was crazy. Um, growing up as a kid, I used to get chills because it didn't matter who we were playing. The Rangers always suck. We always yeah. would say the Rangers suck. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it didn't matter who was out there. And um, especially when my dad would take me to the Rangers games and, you know, you were walking through the tunnel after a win and, uh, you know, they're banging on the wall. They're banging on, like, the, like this metal tunnel. And it would used to like, give me goosebumps. And I used to love that feeling of, like, just the fans and that experience when I was younger. <laughs> Growing up as an Oilers fan, I mean, Jason Arnett obviously – is the reason I had to cheer for the Devils cup when they were in the goal. cup final. But, yeah, not, not a big deal. Oilers legend, Jason Arnott. But. Um, so 6'4", roughly 300 pounds. Were you always an offensive lineman when you played, or, or did you grow into it? Um, I, I think I found the love for offensive line uh, later on in my high school career. Uh, you know, originally I was, you know, a tight end and, defensive end and then um i ended up hurt i only started playing organized like padded football um eighth grade year whatever that may be however old i was so when i started i was really raw i didn't really understand like getting low or technique or any of that i was just a big body out there thrown around <laughs> um and i don't know uh i ended up hurting my ankle put on weight i never dealt with the injury so my mom felt me a fed me a bunch of food and I sat on the couch and it was the most glorious moment. <laughs> <laughs> so so you were you were quarantining well before this started. Yeah. 
It's the dream. Yeah, after the injury, that uh, that sort of switched me off the line and like more of an interior defensive lineman. Um, I was okay throughout high school, but then I really found like that niche. I really loved it. I used to really love defensive line. Um, my senior year in high school, I had offers for both offensive line and defensive line, but and I played through it. And you know, as a defensive lineman, you want to extend your shoulder out. You know, you want to press the bodies off you. And for me personally, I, that would put me in a more of a situation to get hurt rather than on offense where I have to keep my keep my arms down and try to get leverage. And at that point, I felt like it would be a healthier decision to go with offensive line. Okay. Plus, I started to really enjoy like just the fundamentals of it. I was starting to understand what it meant to get leverage and how it felt to overpower another person and do it like consistently, which was a lot of fun. So, uh, yeah, as, after that, I sort of bought into the offensive line and I couldn't be happier. One of my most I mean, prideful things now. <laughs> Fast forwarding a bit, you spent a couple of years at Bethune Cookman uh, before getting drafted by the Riders in 2017. Like you said before, you weren't born in Canada, but your mom was. And it's just one of those wrinkles, uh, the CFL, where you're able to get listed as a national and become draft eligible. Uh, how did that whole process go down? Like I, I read, apparently there may have been some casual remarks about your mom being born in Canada, made in passing to a scout. Um. Yeah. Well. In the beginning, after I like decided that I was going to end my career at Bethune because I had another year, um, but I decided I was getting my degree. And at the moment in my life, I was like, I believe that I'm good enough, and I believe that there was a good enough feel around me that I could make it professionally. Um, mm-hmm. As long as I had my degree, I was happy. So Calgary actually reached out to me before the, even the NFL draft, before anything. Um, and I was talking to a couple of NFL teams and I sort of like told Calgary at the time, I was like, okay, let me see what happens here. I'll, I'll speak with you guys and we'll go from there. Well, after things didn't work out with the Baltimore Ravens and whatever the case may be, um, me and Calgary were speaking and they asked me like, are you, uh, are you Canadian? And I was like, yeah, I'm Canadian. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I, I'm Canadian. And they were like, no, like, are you a citizen? And I was like, uh, no, I, I never knew that was even a thing for me to become a citizen. You know, I didn't even know about dual citizenships, let alone having my own passport. Um, and that's when they told me the whole scenario, like I could come right now to the CFL and not get drafted and be a national. I mean, excuse me, be an international. Um, but I can never switch even if I get my dual citizenship later on. Right. So at that point, yeah, at that point, my agent put me in contact with the agent I have now, um, and me and him set up a game plan, timeline, and how we were going to handle it all, and, uh, you know, it worked out great. It, it really did, honestly. It took a couple months, I just get out, roughly, for the for the year. Okay, we, we just had the 2020 draft, I guess, uh, last week. Um, did that bring back any memories um, from your day just three years ago? Were, were you able to sort of tour some of the facilities beforehand? How was your whole draft experience? Well, for me, it was, it was kind of crazy because, I mean, I had a very good bond with every single team when it came to the draft. I felt like there was a good chance I could land anywhere in the first round with any team. And the crazy thing is, I went to Saskatchewan for uh, the combine. I was like, "Yeah, I'll never be back here again." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "I, I don't th- like." I was like, uh, "Well, I mean, we'll see." 
So uh, <laughs> it was funny. And then I got drafted by them. And, you know, it's kind of crazy because I loved the feel for it. And I just didn't think that was something that was going to happen. Um, for me, like thinking back on it, something that's so unique about the CFL, so many more people have these interesting stories of how they came to be or whether they've been in football for, you know, been out of football for a year or two or whatever the case may be, the stories that come with the CFL draft, like I really enjoyed. And it reminded me of like, it doesn't matter where you start. It doesn't matter how your things like look like they're going to be. You can always make a new path for yourself. Um, and that's what the CFL has given me. It's given me a career, given me a life. Um, and so every time the draft comes around, it's always a special moment. Because, you know, there was no guarantees. There was no guarantees that I sit out a year, wait for my, you know, citizenship and that I could put out a uh, film and put out, like, workout videos. And these teams are going to be like, okay, yeah, let's, let's invite them to the combine. I mean, I worked very hard, but no matter what, a lot of people work hard. There's never a guarantee that you're going to get that opportunity, um, get drafted, you know, go to a situation that you have an opportunity to learn from some great players, uh, you know, Blue, Dan, Peter, I mean, Peter was huge. Um, and then being able to grow in that in that room and being able to become the player I am today, I this worked out for the best for me. So the draft is always special for me, honestly. It's a lot more special than the NFL one, not because I didn't get drafted per se, but because this has affected my life the most, I believe. I'd love to ask you about uh, a little bit more about your former teammates i know you've signed with toronto now there is a, a teammate from saskatchewan going uh, to toronto yeah. uh, as well but h- had you played the canadian game at all like were, were these guys vital for you to sort of make that adjustment without a question I not only on the like <clears throat> the physical aspect but the mental aspect um carrying yourself sort of learning the ways especially since I never, you know, I never played CFL ball beforehand. I never played Canadian ball. I didn't know as much. I mean, you could read about players. You could read about things. You could read about techniques and how the game is played. But until you step on the field and you, you could tell the timing's different, you could tell how much bigger the field is, you know, how much more space there is between players and, you know, how a game could change so quickly. You could be up you know, 14-0 and then, you know, you could be down fifteen fourteen. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> so it it was one of those things that those guys, um, you know, they were awesome. Uh, especially Dan and Blue. Uh, like I said to Peter, there's those there's guys on the outside that I played with, Thad and oh, Thaddeus Coleman, Derek Dennis, uh Bruce Campbell, um, you know, to name a few, Jacoby Cofield, the guys that are there now, Bond. I mean, all these guys brought so much, but especially for the guys' interior uh, that I worked with mainly, that I played behind, and that you know eventually I started next to. Um, those guys were <laughs> everything, you know. And I always thank Dan. I always thank Blue, and I thank those guys for what they've taught me and sort of like the mindset that you bring to work as you, you know Saskatchewan offensive lineman. A lot of times when uh, players get drafted to the CFL and maybe any pro sports league, there's always sort of. Uh, an adjustment period, but you were sort of able to almost contribute right off the bat. Um, did that sort of help? You really didn't have all that much time to think about it. You were just sort of in there playing right away. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, when you speak about that, I think I had like one ocean <laughs> moment. Um, my first 
my first moment where I realized like this isn't like state ball and it's really big difference is like a preseason game we had in BC and coach like first quarter threw me in I was playing, wow. <laughs> and uh man I was like they were running some games and twists and I was up on the line and my guys were getting depth and they were like what the hell um but then later on that year ironically uh that was the we were playing in BC and uh remember when Dan Clark uh, got his elbow really messed up uh, he uh I forgot the, the ligament he tore but he got it like hit by the running back Oh, okay. And I remember being on the field, <laughs> and uh, I, I'm not. A, I didn't play center for us at the time. I mean, like you said, I got thrown into the fire. I hold a high expectation for myself, so I think that's what helped me get so far. But Dan goes and he's laying there, all screwed up. He grabs his wristband. The center like calls, and he's like, "Take it, take this." <laughs> <laughs> on you now. And I looked at him, I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, Dan, like, I was like, the blue, and tell blue it's on him, it's on yeah. me. <laughs> uh, but it, it, I was, that was a funny <laughs> moment for me. I was like, okay, like, not up. So, um, it was funny, but yeah, there was definitely a learning curve to a point, and uh, it took time, I think, like I said, the first game I noticed it was a big difference and you know I just um I was in a situation that you know they wanted to play me you know and I was working very hard I hold a very high standard for myself I'm always willing to learn I mean the more you could do the more that a team's going to want you so even though I never played center in a game in college um I took the snap in the ball every day after practice I started awesome. doing center reps you know I started looking at Dan and seeing what he does and uh, run in center with the second group and so on and so forth. And, you know, starting with uh, the right guard spot, you know. So, it, um, you know, it was interesting. But I think that all comes from the high standard, not only for myself, but that room. I mean, it's not flashy. Offensive line is not flashy. I mean, you look at those guys that have been doing it so long. Yeah. Um, you know, Blue and Dan and, you know, Peter did it forever. I mean, these guys, Philip Blake, my teammate now in Toronto, I mean – there's nothing sexy or flashy about it. It's, it's a grind and it's it's work, but that's the pride you get out of it. I know I watch uh, the warmups. You know, at the beginning of the season, the offensive linemen they look like they're, you know, they, they've got a little pep in their step. But by about Labor Day, <laughs> the the tape on the ankle just gets thicker. Like, <laughs> I mean, an 18 game season's just got to be rough. <laughs> Um, yeah, I have my few horror stories of, uh, you know, just playing through a lot of pain. Right. Um, yeah, I, one of the most craziest things is like kickoff return. You know, if you play (laughs) a lot of special teams, you got to give a nod to those guys. Yeah. I did it for my rookie year. I was on the wedge and I used to love it if you're the hammer. One time I was the nail and I almost cracked my sternum and, uh, I couldn't lay down almost like two weeks. And I had to wear a big gel pad on the center of my chest my rookie year for a couple games because I I literally couldn't. Like, it hurt so bad. The guys would tell me, like, why the hell are you – what the hell are you doing? Just just don't play. And I'm like, no. (laughs) No, I'm not going to do that. You know how the game goes. I mean, if you sit down, that's a chance for someone else to come and take the spot. So. Transitioning to off the field a little bit, um, (laughs) your mom born in Canada – what, did you know much about Canada at all growing up? Did you visit at all? What did you know before uh, uh, playing ball here? 
Um, well, I obviously knew the Canadian hockey teams. Right. <laughs> that helps. Uh, so I knew, I knew like the major cities. Um, you know, I was a sports fan, so I knew about the Vancouver Grizzlies and, you know, the Raptors, whatever the case, Blue Jays. I'm a Yankees fan. So oh. uh, for me personally, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was that sound for? <laughs> He's pretty brave when he's uh he's pretty brave when he's over the phone. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, and I sound nicer over the phone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you do, yeah. <laughs> no, but um uh no, you know, I my mom, you know, they went there for the honeymoon. Oh wow, okay. From there by my nana and uh pa, you know. And um you know, at that point, that was really it, because since my mom was adopted, especially, like, by Italian, right. like, we had some Italian family, but my dad was from Poland, and we had a huge Polish family. You know, we would normally, like, go to Polish dinner and mass, like, every Sunday, and so that was a lot more of my, like, childhood focus, I guess, since my mom didn't have family up here. Um, but even my mom, even my uncle on my mom's side, um, he was adopted from Canada, too, so we always... We always knew it was just we never got time to go up there, you know, so on and so forth. But my mom loved when I was going to come up here, and so was I. Like, this was probably the most exciting thing for me, and my mom's been loving it because she gets to come back to Canada. Right. Um, when I went to Ottawa the first time and we got to stay, like, I tried to absorb as much as I could about the country and, you know, take pride in it just as much as I do with the U.S. or Poland, you know. So you mentioned, you know, the, the Canadian hockey teams and all that stuff. Regina isn't exactly what I would call a booming metropolis <laughs> when it when it when it comes to big cities. Uh, what did you know about Saskatchewan and, and you know about Regina before you got drafted and, and played your first game there? Um, I mean, if we're going back to when the combine was announced that it was going to be there, um, I knew, or CFL week. I knew nothing, honestly. I was just like, uh, where? <laughs> I think it's north of where. Um, <laughs> uh, because of that what, fact that you call me? have, you know, no major team, so I wasn't I never heard of it, um, you know, beforehand. Was there ever uh or what was that moment when you were a rough rider and you found out that the people in that province live and die by the Rough Riders. Like, they just love them. The passion is incredible. Was there a moment when it was like, oh, my God, these people are crazy? <laughs> <laughs> I think there's there's two. There's an in-person moment for me, and then there was like a, you know, a, uh, I, I'm never there, but I, I got the feel like this place was special. After, you know, I was getting messages from all over, the support, the people, the fans, everyone looking to help, hand to help in hand, you know, look out for me, try to find me a place, um, get wow. to know me. And that was that was huge for me. I mean, people were telling, oh, you're going to need a bike for Saskatoon and camp. Oh, we'll help you out. I mean, to this day, there's some, you know, technically people that were fans that I am friends with now that are even friends with my parents. Um, you know, that I would see them normally when I would go up to Saskatoon that are actually personal friends with me. We hang out, we'll have a couple beers um, because of that. And that, for me, when I coming into the league and nothing, no, not knowing nothing about Saskatchewan at first, 
I seen that and I was like, wow, like I've heard stories how passionate the fan base is, but I didn't know I would feel it so quickly. And then, um, which was surprising me. I just didn't expect it, you know? Yeah. And, uh, then the in-person was the home opener against Winnipeg. I actually have, uh, you know, the picture framed up and signed from my first year from everyone in my room right now. And, uh, you know, that was, that was crazy. Didn't know, uh, you know, I knew a little about our, our like rival with Winnipeg, but yeah. I didn't know how serious it was. And like, it felt like playing in that game and trying to win. I, we ended up losing in the end there, but, uh, you know, trying to win and pull out that win, like the energy in that stadium and the, the fan base that night when I went out and, you know, I went to go get dinner and people are coming up to me and talking to me and, you know, we're the talk of the town. So I was like, geez, you know, you go to a bar and you really can't, uh, you can't get unseen. So <laughs> it's, uh, it was special and that place is always special to me. I saw on your Twitter account that someone was sort of inspired by your name and they named their kid. <laughs> Like the yeah. same name. <laughs> That's got to be flattering, I guess. <laughs> it it's probably one of the most like prestigious things that's happened to me. One day waking up in the gym, well, waking up and going to the gym, and you know I'm doing my thing, and then I just I look at my phone and I see the message request. I'm like, what's this? And I see a picture of a baby. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not mine. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, honest to God, it was special. Yeah. And um, I never thought, I, I could have never thought me playing football would have such a positive impact on so many people to this day. Um, there's people that, you know, contact me or there's people outside of Saskatchewan even. Um, just about things that I've done for them. You know, uh, I'm the middle child, but my sister always says, like, I feel like the older brother and that she always, like, looks to me for guidance and she knows I'm always level-headed. So, the, you know, the baby thing was something I never expected. It was unreal. I keep in contact with them. And they actually send me updates, uh, which is awesome. Wow. So uh, the baby's growing healthy and strong, and that's something you can never take away, you know. And one day, I told them, one day we'll get a jersey, um, you know, hopefully when this COVID thing passes over and I'll go meet them and we'll take a picture and I'll get the baby a little Jersey. <laughs> that's, that's so cool. Um, when you came up to Canada and the, the riders, that br- beautiful brand new facility, but the, the first two playoff games in November against Winnipeg, it's just uh, the first one, at least it was probably about minus 20, uh, when you wake up on game day, you, you played most all of your football in Florida, and it's that cold. <laughs> What's going through your head? <laughs> um, uh, to be honest with you, I mean by that point I was already adapted to it. Like I was, I was out there wearing just a jersey in practice. Okay, so that game time, yeah. So when the game came around, I was. I was primed and prepped, uh, pink belly and all. I'm good. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so that's that's how I was, uh, honestly. At first, it was it was a huge difference. Like I I didn't understand what the hell was going on. I remember <laughs> in camp, like I, I remember in camp, like at three thirty in the morning, the sun was coming up, and I'm like, what in the hell <laughs> am I doing? And the temperatures going, you know, I I can't remember in uh, Celsius, but we'll be going anywhere from you know eighty something down to like. 40 and I'm like well what the hell's going on here (laughs) (laughs) Um, but so by the time that we got to November 
Um, it's never easy to play in like weather like that, I would say. There's a mindset that comes with it, and I enjoy that, and that's why you know I don't mind it personally, but it's never easy when you run out on the field, and if you're out there for more than three or four plays, you literally push your hand into the turf and you don't feel nothing all the way up to your elbow. And you like have to check if your hand's in the damn ground. Like, wow. are you there? <laughs> so, yeah, that, that was the coldest I've ever been. Like, I looked down and I was like, is my is my hand in the is the turf? Like, it didn't feel like it was. It was kind of crazy. So, wow. Yeah, it, it was a big difference from, uh, <laughs> from my <laughs> career here in Florida with the humidity, the heat. My yeah. coldest game I think I played – um, you know, probably was like the 40s Fahrenheit or so, you know, ever, and the sun was out, and it wasn't even snowing, so I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> you mean you mean the sun was out and it wasn't warm? Oh. <laughs> What's that like? <laughs> well, <laughs> the conference I played in, you know, the most northern team we played was Delaware. Oh, yeah. Um. Just just during the off season, uh, your time in Saskatchewan is over for now. You never know what's going to happen in the future. Um, how excited are you about playing in the in the six? We know it's not going to get <laughs> minus thirty or whatever for football <laughs> games. You got to be excited about playing at BMO when the time comes. Uh, I am. Um, I'm thrilled about Toronto. I mean, Toronto alone has so much to offer. I mean, I love to travel. I love to. You know, try different foods. I love to see different places. So, you know, I felt like I did a lot of that Saskatchewan. You know, there's only so much you could go and see within a certain amount of hours. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Or some of them you just can't get to. Um, yeah. Or you've got to plan really ahead if you want to go see some things. So I'm excited for Toronto. And it's a different, it's a different life for me. You know, I'm going from driving everywhere mainly and uh, being out in the open and not dealing with too much traffic or congestion and no sky rises, you know, yeah. to being in, you know, a city of glass, I say. Um, everywhere you go, you see your reflection. So um, I'm definitely excited for it, uh, BMO, and just enjoying myself out there. And I think it's going to be really cool. I'm going to enjoy playing on grass. That's going to be cool for all our home games. So that would be nice. Um but yeah, it's it's going to be a different lifestyle. My family lives closer. I have a lot of family in New Jersey and New York. Um, I got a cousin that lives in Toronto. So cool. That's going to be amazing to be yeah to really just hang out with them and get to share some more time with my family. My grandfather he lives in uh, New Jersey, which you know is a very cheap flight compared to coming out of Saskatchewan. If you need to fly, you got to make two stops, um, and the trips are more expensive. So this is going to be a really gonna you know help with the wallet when it comes to seeing family because you know it's something i love doing i love if they could come watch me play easier to coordinate like i have a lot of little cousins that want to come see me play but it's tough to go to saskatchewan you know for a whole family of five or six of little kids it's a little bit different to fly two flights instead of going to one to toronto so i'm hoping that uh the season gets on its way so i can enjoy a lot of the benefits that toronto has to offer you know for being such a large city Speaking of the new season, we don't know dates and everything yet, but training camp, we don't know how long it's going to be or what's going to happen. But it is important for players to learn the new installs in the playbook and get their bodies uh, some game reps before the season get going. But is it more important after joining a new team in the offseason and especially playing O-line with having to know the protections and the new schemes and all that stuff? 
Um, without a question. Um, you know, when it came to the Rough Riders, I pretty much knew everything. Like, maybe once in a blue moon, there would be a brain fart, of course, you know. But I could basically sit in a meeting, we could go over all the plays, and I know where we're going, what we're doing, what we're trying to do. Um, and, you know, going into a different system, that all that could change, you know, depending on your O-line coach, your offensive coordinator, what the expectation is. But luckily, um, I lucked out. You know, I got uh, McAdoo as the O-line yeah. coach. So mm-hmm. I'm sure we're already going to start meeting. Um, like on Zoom calls, we're going to start meeting shortly on the okay. offensive line. So we're going to start going over things. But I already spoken to McAdoo personally. Um, a lot of the terminology that we used in the offense before, he's going to be using it. So I'm going to have a foot up on maybe some of the other guys that have been at Toronto or guys that haven't worked with him yet. Um, me and Phil are going to have more of like a, a better idea of what he's bringing. But excuse me. And then uh, Jay Jack, the coach, he'll be offensive coordinator or assistant offensive coordinator, and I've worked in his system as well. So. I've, that was another reason for Toronto. I knew the coaches that were going there, and I knew that these are people that I've worked with. They know what they're getting from me. They know what type of guy I am, and uh, they know how hard I work. And, you know, I know what they have thematically. So, Just keep on with training and training camp. Like, how has this changed your routine, like your off-season training uh, that you would normally be doing? I'm sure that you have a gym uh, that you would be able to go to and stuff, but right now it's just not an option. Yeah, it's stressful. It it was really stressful because you build yourself in the off season. I mean, I felt great after the season was over um, because of the unfortunate things of you know them not playing me and right. sitting me a little bit and um, whatever the case may be with that. So I was feeling a lot more healthier coming into this off season. Obviously, last year I had the MCL tear, so that was a setback, but. I felt great, so I was really looking forward to getting back to the season. I was, I was ready. I felt ready to go like three months out of the season. I I felt great, amazing. Um, you know, I really felt like I put on a lot of build, a lot of gain. Um, and unfortunately, with everything that happened, it's sort of, you know, it messed up the body timing. Um, yeah, there's sort of like a time schedule. You know, how I'm building myself, how I want, where I want to plateau with weight and start building reps or where I start to transition more field and just maintaining the strength that I got in the weight room, not really risking any injury, um, really just working on everything else. And as soon as the season and everything that happened, there was a lot of unknown. No one knew, okay, the season could get postponed. What's going to happen? So now you're up in the air. You don't got a gym. Um, You don't know sort of how you should treat your body. Should you be outside doing two-a-days, getting yourself ready? Um, How bad is this going to get? So there was a there was a murky window for me where I was a little bit stressed. I the unknown sort of like it was like you know what it doesn't matter. Okay, the unknown. So I gotta push to the wall. I gotta I have a bench outside. You know I have 400 pounds worth of weight at my house. I had to build the bench again. Um, you know and I worked on things and I I have a setup, but obviously it's not what the gym has to offer. It doesn't have everything that I could use, but I have more than enough to be very strong and be successful. So um, at first I was training as if the camp was going to start in May. And I was like, well, they haven't told us yet. So it was kind of crazy. My family didn't understand. They were more concerned with my health and, like, making sure, like, we're not getting sick. And I'm telling them, like, well, no one's going to care. Like, if they said the season's ready, you know, no one else could come play my job for me. I got to go play my job. 
So I got to train as if the season's not postponed. And now it's postponed until July, at least, that we know of, um, at least CFLPA-wise. So I've had to slow things down. I realized if I keep doing five, six days a week, um, you know, two to three, two a days, you know, whatever the case may be, my body's going to actually be burned out if we do get to the season. I'll be weaker um, in the end. So taking some adjustment, but I'm finding my groove. I'm sort of on pace. If we were to start July camp, um, I think it's important that we have a camp um, and that we do get some live reps and that we do have the competition that we do have the, like, you know, the practice to go over the place. I mean, let alone me being on a new team, even if I was with Saskatchewan, does it give me a foot up? Yes, because we're used to the system. What's going on? It doesn't matter. You still need to work next to your guys to get that groove back. You know, it's been a couple months. You know, there's always that little communication niche that you have to get down. So um, it's going to be interesting. I think there's a lot of exciting things happening in Toronto between uh, Pinball and John Murphy and, yeah, Stephen McAdoo going to be there with some players that he was just coaching. So there's a little bit of continuity there, uh, and I'm guessing that the fans are going to love to see you in double blue, especially after hearing uh, about how hard you work. Before letting you go, you did mention – the, the love of food and we love talking about food on the show and you've got a Polish background live in Florida spent I, I feel like you could almost take us on a world tour of uh, the cuisine that you know and I know that your favorite food is pierogies and we love ourselves some pierogies here so I mean how's your favorite way to chow down on some of those well, um, it's funny you mentioned that. We literally just made, like, me and my family, we put a bunch of hours in. We just made, what, like 400 of them? Wow! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, we had the whole housework. My sister's down from New Jersey. My little brother came. Uh, so we we did probably, like, 200-plus, like, potato and cheese. Um, mm. And, you know, we boiled them the same way. We have that, and they sit in the pans with butter. Um, like the, uh, the onions that were sitting there in the butter, and then you got the thick-cut bacon. And mm. then we made the cabbage with onion ones, the cabbage and onion ones. And then my dad has this, like, dessert one with blueberries. Nice. <laughs> I'm not even kidding you. It's so refreshing to have, like, a blueberry one. after you eat about, like, 20 of the other ones. <laughs> you're feeling so heavy. And 20's being, like, uh, nice for me, I guess. <laughs> but my favorite way for a pierogi is... Um, the day they're made, um, yeah, they taste good, like having them right then and there. But I always like going back to the pan where the bacon was made and throwing them in there. Oh, and yeah. Sort of browning them, crisping them, mm-hmm. and throwing the onion on top with the with cheese and potato. I love the cabbage one, but I sort of like the cabbage one with a red barsh. I like, I like a red barsh on the side that normally like enhances it for me personally. Now, I can hear the passion. Like, I, I feel like for an appetizer, you could have the cabbage ones, and then your main course would be the potato ones, and then the dessert, the blueberry ones, right? So you see how 315 pounds yeah. is easy to obtain. <laughs> now, now, I don't know if you know this, but in northeastern Alberta, there's a town called Glendon, and they have a giant pierogi that's about 25 feet tall. 
and every well, every Labor Day weekend, I know you're busy Labor Day, uh, but they have yeah. a, a pierogi eating festival. And uh, they have a pierogi eating contest, and I'm the champion there. Uh, 12, per- <laughs> 12 pierogies in 18 seconds is my record. Um, and then your former teammate, Zach Evans, I beat him at a pierogi eating competition at the Grey Cup in Edmonton a couple years ago. I, I feel like there is a uh, battle brewing here. <laughs> Um, well, maybe, maybe we could set something up. I, I've never tried to speed eat my pierogies. Um, yeah, I like enjoying because, them too. <laughs> I I mean, before Battle of Brew, I would have some, you know, just test the body out. <laughs> see if I could do it in the ballpark. Um, but, you know, maybe that's something I could do. I got a bunch of pierogies. Maybe I'll go downstairs. How do you guys eat them? Like, are they, uh. Are they, like, fried or, like, do you guys just, however your own preferences? For the eating competition, basically, they're just sort of buttered, so they slide down easy, right? (laughs) (laughs) This this conversation's getting hot. (laughs) (laughs) To be honest with you, he didn't even chew the ones in Glendon when he ate. 12 of them in 18 seconds he just swallowed them like like homer eating donuts oh <laughs> um, you know <laughs> i've been working on my metabolism i don't think my body's gonna appreciate yeah. you know how many i could it's a lot of carbs probably not <laughs> oh, wh- but you know we got we got some time you know maybe i'll just have a bulk day um yeah i'll see how much i can like eat in like a one minute sitting and i'll just see how the stomach takes it because speedy Speed eating is something else. I can eat a lot, but I don't know if I can right. eat a lot fast. <laughs> I, I would love to see this. Like, I, I'd love to see you put in a shift at like uh, Red Lobster for all you can eat shrimp. And like, how many shrimp do you or think banana. you can eat in four hours? Like, you probably about fifteen hundred. <laughs> I'm not lying. I love me some shrimp. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I got. Uh, I was just on the beach yesterday. Oh, nice. <laughs> Uh, one more question about food. You spent a few years in uh, Regina. Tell me about Regina pizza. Do you know much about this? I've seen some chatter on Twitter that pizza oh, in Regina boy. is a special style. Are you a fan of it? Um, um, I'm going to be honest. Uh, if you mean special by bad, yeah. Oh! Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I am. I love my pizza. I'm not kidding. I travel, like, I do the road trips. I always, like, try to get pizza from different cities I go to. Obviously, Chicago. But traveling down, I'll go to the best pizzeria wherever I stop. And I'll go to, like, the most famous food places yeah. um, for the town with their nose for. But I'm going to be honest. Um, at the end, no. <laughs> wow. Regina doesn't exactly scream pizza mecca to me. I don't know about every I don't know why everybody loves it so much. I, I don't know. I, I'm so sorry. I'm I'm sorry <laughs> to all all my people, but it it's bad. It's like I literally before I left I was talking to our video guys, uh Junior and everyone there in the building and I was talking about pizza. And they were like, oh, you want a slice? And I'm like, uh, no, nah, I'll pass. They're like, how can you pass a pizza? I was like, that, that just, I was like, it's not, it's not, it's pizza, but it's a different pizza. Like, I just, I don't know. Like, putting the toppings under the cheese always has uh, scratched my head wrong. <laughs> I ate it because I'm big and I love pizza. <laughs> but, um, 
honestly, I would I would probably pick pizza from anywhere else. Wow. <laughs> I saw that Dakota Shepley, he just put on Twitter that uh, he's not mm-hmm. a fan of it either. So Dakota then goes and posts that his, like, Windsor, or Windsor, I pronounced it wrong, um, is the best. Now, have you tried it in Windsor? No, I haven't. But and that's the thing. Like that's why I took a look at it because you know I'm a huge pizza guy. And like when I say I would pick, you know, Regina or Saskatchewan. Like I can't say Saskatchewan because there's a place in Saskatoon I think called Thirteen Pies, and their pizza is really good. It's not like the common I would say Sask pizza, right? They put, right. Like the toppings underneath. I think that just. I think that's a Regina thing. I, I really don't know, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just, I'm not a fan of it. Um, it. It sort of makes the bread like soggy or like greasy if you don't get it just the plain cheese one. And there's a lot more bread on it than like I get to enjoy the sauce per se. But um, yeah, I never been there to eat pizza. That's why I was sort of skeptic. I've been to some of the biggest pizza places in the world: Chicago, you know, New York, Jersey. Yeah, um, you know. So I've never been to Connecticut, but supposedly they have really good pizza there or Rhode Island. So one day I'll go try that out. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. One day I'm going to have to go try his pizza because he says it's that good. And I'm like, "Eh, (laughs) I don't know about that. (laughs) Chicago and New York are pretty damn good pizza makers. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, Before uh, I let you go, I I did hear, and I think it's really cool that fans uh, get to hear this. you sort of have hopes you want to open an assisted living home once you're done with football. That's what I had uh, I had read. So I guess tell us about where this passion sort of came from off of the field. Um, well, I mean, yeah, that's, that's really my game plan. I'm hoping that I can make enough money one day um, through playing, you know, CFL or playing professional football in general to put money away. So that one day when I learned the ropes of, you know, assisted living and, um, you know, taking care of people in that sense and how the business runs, like maybe open my own. That is my end game. I want to open one and I plan I will um, or I believe I will. Excuse me. So that came from college. Um, I was a nursing major. I was going to get into nursing school but because I had to do this uh, like a clinic, you know, sort of. And um, I couldn't get it done because of my football season. Every time we'd be doing it on the weekends, I'll be playing in games or we'll be away or whatever the case may be. So at the end of the season, uh, they said, okay, well, during your break, you could do an internship uh, for a month at an assistant living home and give us a report on the three stages of Alzheimer's. Uh, Now, Alzheimer's is a form of dementia, I mean, it's the most popular form of dementia, but there's always also Lewy bodies and so on. Um, So as I was working there, I started to really enjoy being around the residents, I guess you would call it, uh, professionally, but they're really patients technically. Um, And being there, being around them and studying the three phases, seeing, seeing how this disease affected families, seeing how this disease, like how fast it could progress. And one of my... Um, residents ended up passing away with stage three. They were in the final stage, and within that month, they passed away, actually. Uh, her name was Rose, and I was just like, wow. So for me, that yeah. was that was huge for me, um, and it, it really changed the way I, you know, looked at things. I wanted to help people, hence being the nurse and working in the medical field. I wanted to 
make people have better lives. Um, and just seeing how I could help people, seeing how how bad this disease affects so many people, um, especially even with me in football, you know, there's a there's a high chance they say most retired, you know, players, especially people that hit their heads a lot um, with concussion pass, normally develop early, you know, traits of dementia, form of dementia. So even for my own health and knowledge, I want to be up on game on that. So that's that's where that came from for me. I said there's a lot of um, – I ended up doing a 60-page report, um, switched my major to gerontology, agent studies, and uh, did a 60-page report on the difference for for-profit uh, system living homes and non-for-profit uh, assisted living homes. And the amount of issues that would be there and the difference in qualities of life. And there's such a drastic um, difference that for me personally, I would love to be one of those smaller assisted living homes that could create that family environment and that could create a positive environment where families would want to come and visit their loved ones and the loved ones they would know are in good hands, in my opinion. You know, this is a great conversation, and, you know, we're a football podcast, but there's going to be, I think, a lot more conversations about these uh, types of residences because of the current pandemic we're in right now. In Canada, it's a, it's the focus of a lot of conversations right now, and uh, I think we're lucky to have you in the CFL, Darius, and I, I can't wait to see you back on the field up here doing what you do best. Uh, thanks for taking so much time uh, to talk to Tyrell and myself today. Uh, stay safe in Florida and uh, stay healthy until you can get back, okay? Yes, thank you guys so much. I really enjoyed the time just sitting down again to talk about all this. I hope you guys stay warm. I hope I send you guys a bunch of warmth. And uh, hopefully we can get the ball soon, you know? Thanks again to Darius Bladek for... uh taking so much time to chat with us. I know the signal was cutting out uh-huh. here and there while he was in Florida, but it was still a fun chat, and I really hope that he can, uh, or anyone, can can get back and on the field sooner rather than later. We are a part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. I want to shout out to the Hockey Feels Podcast. And from the Hockey Feels Podcast is Stephen Shapansky. And on Twitter, he's at Legopolis, like Lego, P-O-L-I-S. And for Star Wars Day, about a week and a half ago, he put together a stop-motion Lego animation (laughs) with Star Wars characters. So Uh much work went into this thing, man. (laughs) I mean, if you're stuck inside during lockdown and all that and i mean it's only a minute but you can watch it over and over again i'm going to retweet this from the two and out account yes so uh, check this out it is so awesome so shout out to steven and the hockey fields podcast a part of uh, the alberta podcast network powered by atv we both like star wars so uh, the punchline at the end i don't want to spoil it most Star Wars fans are really going to like what happens, and they kind of probably wish it happened in an actual movie. Uh, Ty, we are going to be back in two weeks talking to Ron Snyder, and he is the author of a book 
called uh, the Baltimore Stallions, the brief, brilliant history of the CFL champion franchise. The 25th anniversary of their Grey Cup win in Regina is coming up in November. So we're going to revisit that uh, time. Only two seasons in Baltimore, but a lot of cool stuff came out of that franchise, Ty. Well, I mean, they go, what, 27-9 and in those two years. Good team. You know, make make both Grey Cups, win one, uh, you know, and their legacy, you know, and and everything just carried on throughout both the CFL and the NFL, uh, if, if you really look at it, until we get leased last year uh, with with a pretty predominant figure in the CFL still being around. So uh, it was really fun to talk to him. Great read. I read the book about two days. It did not, like, I, it was really good. Lots of stories, uh, lots of background on how players came to the team, how, how they were found. And just how much better they were set up than all of the other U.S. expansion teams. That's going to be a fun conversation, so we'll talk to you in two weeks. Rate, review, and subscribe to Two and Out on your favorite podcatcher. Stay healthy. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.